0: Deborah Goodrich-Royce, who joins us right now, is a very multi-talented woman who has always, it seems to me, been interested in stories. She began as an actress on All My Children, and she played Erica Kane's sister, Silver, in probably one of the most prominent roles on Any Soap Ever. Then she became the story editor at Miramax Films. We're going to have to chat with her a little bit about that. I just finished the book on Harvey Weinstein. With her husband, Chuck, Deborah restored the Avon Theater right here in Stamford, as well as beautiful places that you may have had a chance to vision, including the Ocean House Hotel, the Deer Mountain Inn, and numerous Main Street uh, revitalization projects, both in Rhode Island and in the Catskill Mountains. She serves on the governing and advisory boards of the American Film Institute, the Greenwich International Film Festival, which we cover every June, the New York Botanical Garden, and the Greenwich Historical Society. And she's also very active in Palm Beach, which is the center of her latest novel called Reef Road, The third, at least the one that I know of, at least the third, Deborah Goodrich-Royce. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Hello. Hello. Thank
3: you. Hi. I'm so glad to be in my home state talking to you.
0: I'm very delighted. Where are you in Greenwich right now?
3: Well, I live in Riverside. I'm actually in a New York studio, but I live in Riverside, Connecticut. That's home.
0: Yeah, well, Riverside's a part of Greenwich. For those of us in the WICC land, I broadcast on, on WGCH in Greenwich for four years. Riverside is one of the many beautiful neighborhoods of Greenwich, Connecticut. So, Deborah, you have just led the most fascinating life. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't begin with a little bit of your All My Children story. How did you nab that role, and how much fun was it to be with Susan Lucci in the cast every day?
3: Well, it was so... Much fun and how I nabbed it. I really, after college, I came to New York to dance. I had, you know, in a freak moment, uh, gotten a role as a background dancer in a big United Artists film with Frank Langella and Tom Hulse. So I thought, oh, this is a piece of cake. I can just go to New York and do this. <laughs> so I came to New York to dance. Ha ha. And um, within a year, I realized I wasn't quite good enough as a dancer. So I I managed to get an agent and started doing a bunch of commercials, and a year after that, I got this major role on All My Children, and Mm. it was one of those crazy life moments where I thought, oh, this is it, I've arrived, which, of course, you know, we never really Mm -hmm. get to it. It didn't quite go that way, but uh, it was fun.
0: Yeah, I bet it was fun. And it was in the glory days of soaps. In other words, we had millions of them on TV at that time, and that's all there was to watch during the day.
3: That's all there was. We had three networks, and we had so many soap opera studios all over New York City, and I walked to work. And it was an incredible place in that time to be an actress. There were young actors starting out. There were more mature actors in later stages of their careers. There was everything in between. I mean, we had Kathy Bates, who became a big movie star, on All My Children. She was doing Night Mother on Broadway at night and doing a little stint on All My Children. We had, you know, Carol Burnett do a little cameo because she
0: loved the show. Mm. It, It was fun. It was fun. And then I understand you went on to become a story editor from Miramax, which at the height of its glory, uh, your biography talks about Emma and other stories. I just finished Ken Alletta's book. By the way, did you read Ken Alletta's book about Harvey Weinstein?
3: I have not read it mm. yet, but I yeah. will. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, So I was at Miramax in the '90s, which I think was really the acme of of what Miramax was doing. And I must say that Harvey Weinstein is was a genius. He he had an incredible eye. For the absolute best in the world of cinema, Uh, he was uh, a genius at acquisitions and at editing. I did not know about that other aspect of his life. I worked with him in a very different capacity. Uh, To be very clear, I I neither doubt the women nor condone his behavior. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I write thrillers about people not being who they seem. So I think people exist on different levels, and they compartmentalized. but my years at Merrimax were very fulfilling.
0: Oh, they were, huh? So you remember those years fondly.
3: I do. I mean, yeah. it was a lot of work. It was a sure. very intense pressure cooker, but I learned an incredible amount, and I don't think I would be a writer if I hadn't been the editor I was at Merrimax.
0: That's a pretty amazing leap that you made from being an actress to a story editor. How did they give you that job?
3: Well... <laughs> <laughs> I had moved to France. Uh, uh, my acting career, I had two children, and I found myself at this moment where I, I wasn't feeling inspired by acting. I, I, it was kind of a, a, a grind to go out the door and audition for films. And my first husband and I had this incredible opportunity to move to Paris, where he had grown up. So we moved to Paris, and through a fluke, I was hired as a reader by a French film studio called Canal Plus, a huge studio still, and they were looking for native English-speaking readers. They were investing in English-language movies, so that was step one, which Mm. I did uh, for a couple of years, and then when I came back to New York, I was teed up to become a story editor, which would have been the next step in the process. We had gone back to New York. My first husband worked for the actress Julia Roberts. She had a mm. deal at Disney, wow. and she wanted to set up her company in New York, so that's where we went.
0: Wow, we're chatting with Deborah Goodrich-Royce. So was your first husband in the film business, or was he just you know, in a different kind of aspect and helped her out? He was. He,
3: he was in the film business, and he ran Julia's company for seven years and then worked at a couple of other film companies uh, after that.
0: Was she fun to be with? What do you think about her presence in your life? What was Julia Roberts like?
3: She was a wonderful friend. She was a very, very dear and important friend for a long time. We're not in touch,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: but I have the, the, the fondest feelings for her.
0: We're chatting with Deborah Goodrich So I was really so, so you have gotten sort of knee deep in a lot of different um, things that you love and. As part of your biography, it seems like, I don't know if this is with your second husband or was also with your first, the restoration of beautiful buildings and and wonderful places to visit. Can you tell us a little bit about your passion for that?
3: Sure. So I went through a divorce in the year 2000, which was really shattering for me, you know, for any people who've been divorced out there. It it was a very painful experience. And I met the wonderful man I'm married to in the early 2000s, and he uh, came out of the finance world, but he's an extremely creative and visionary human being. His name is Chuck Royce, and the Avon Theater in Stamford, Connecticut, had been closed for close to a decade. It was sitting there dark on this beautiful Bedford Street in Stanford, mm-hmm. and he said, hey, you are in the movie business. Let's restore this movie theater, and I said, well, I don't uh-huh. know anything about running a movie theater, but we figured it out, and it's been one of the most fulfilling things i have ever done it was through the avon that we met gene wilder and it was gene wilder oh. who was a big encourager of my writing and so you could kind of tie it all in a circle
0: that's really very beautiful i miss him don't we miss gene wilder
3: oh. my God. i do i do he was just an amazing human being and his, his widow karen is a wonderful person and yeah. uh she still is in stanford
0: Yeah. Oh, I think it's so wonderful that you restored that theater because, you know, there's nothing, I mean, it seems like a movie theater is essential to the vitality of any kind of walkable pedestrian downtown place. There's just something about the attraction of a movie theater that's necessary.
3: Lisa, you are so right. And there are statistics that are known about the economic generator that a movie theater is and what it does for restaurants and other businesses and driving traffic. And it's I think we need to reimagine the, the downtown movie theater. Uh, I think we need to expand its possibilities to do other things like maybe a gallery show in the lobby or lectures. Mm. Or it has to be a place that serves the community, including the not-for-profits. Like at the Avon, we do a lot of associations with not-for-profits and show, you know, uh, m- movies that that they would like to show. It's... It, It's a very important part of community that young people don't understand as much.
0: Right. Well, because they didn't grow up with, I mean, when I grew up in my hometown, there was a, I grew up in this cluster called the Five Towns, and one of the towns was Cedarhurst, and in Cedarhurst, it was the Central Theater, one movie theater, one, and, and actually it was one screen until probably later it became four, but it was one giant screen. And I'll never forget, Deborah, the summer of 1978, my friend from high school got a job working the concession stand, and I was working for TWA, but I had these shifts, right, at eight, ten hours at a time, and then when the shift was over, I would kick off and go to the Central Theater, and I'd watch Grease all summer long, because that was the only movie they were playing, and by the end of the summer, I knew every line, but the giant visage of Olivia Newton-John in that black leather outfit with John Travolta as they you know, go up into the stratosphere for you the one that I want. It hasn't left my brain yet. It hasn't left my brain. Well,
3: it framed us. If you see the extraordinary new Spielberg movie, The Fableman... I haven't seen it yet.
0: Oh, you must. I must see see it it again. It's so wonderful. But it's all about
3: how he was shaped
0: by movies. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta see it. Did you see it in the movie theater or did you see it at home? I saw it at the Avon. You did? I did. Oh, I'll go to the Avon. I'll go see it well, myself. I don't know I'm if it's
3: dying. Anymore. I saw it in November.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. We're chatting with Deborah Goodrich Royce. So, Deborah, you are a story editor, you're an actress, you're a writer, you're a reader, and now this is your third novel, Reef Road. Um, and you love to write thrillers. So, so what is what are some of the secrets? What keeps the pages turning? From the writer's point of view, what are, you, what are you doing that keeps our interest as a reader?
3: It's a great question. So Reef Road is, you know, it's a dual narrative. It's the story of two women in the pandemic lockdown in Florida, spring of 2020. One is a writer researching the murder of her mother's best friend, based a lot on my experience of my own mother's best friend's murder. And the other storyline is that of a younger, more glamorous woman. This is a much more plot-driven thriller storyline where that woman's husband disappears about three weeks into the lockdown. He's caught on security camera footage at Miami International getting on a plane for Buenos Aires with their two little children. And, of course, he's wearing his face mask, which is Mm. an important plot point. Mm -hmm. And she can't follow him because of the pandemic. So a few things that keep a thriller turning let's look at reef road one the pandemic setting the book is not about the pandemic however it takes place during the lockdown so certain restrictions and limitations are placed around the characters they're boxed in Mm. and that is very compelling because it makes people behave in odd ways when they can't do what they want to do a second thing i like is short chapters I like a chapter, you know, like my soap opera past. I love that cliffhanger at the end, mm-hmm. It kind of leads you to just turn the page to the next yeah. chapter. Um, I structure it a little bit like a movie, where there are, you know more or less three acts. Where something there's a third, a third, a third, and there's a big shift at around page 100 and around page 200, and then there's also something like a big bang in the middle of the book. So I think. Structure is very important to pacing.
0: Do you do research into how people can get killed and, you know, what are biological (laughs) things like that? Do you do that? I would
3: frighten you, Lisa. I do so much research. You know, I spent time in Florida investigating the Gulf Stream. Mm -hmm. How close is the Gulf Stream to the coast of Florida? Mm -hmm. How fast does the Gulf Stream move? How long would it take something that fell into the Gulf Stream to end up in Nantucket? Mm-hmm. etc. I did a lot of research on the dirty war period in Argentina, because that's a plot point to one of the characters backgrounds, you know, how did they disappear these people? How did they throw them out of planes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very wow. good stuff.
0: Right. But I think you have to do it. You have to be so knowledgeable in something that when you can, with a sentence or two, tell the reader what it's about, the reader knows that they're reading somebody of authority. That's what the great writer does, right? That's
3: exactly right. Like, my prologue is two surfer boys going to the beach, you know, going through the Do Not Enter tape of the lockdown beach and finding something. Mm -hmm. And I had my son-in-law and his brother read the prologue. I'm not a surfer. And right away they said, surfers don't carry their boards the way I wrote them, hoisting their boards on their shoulder. They said, no, they don't do that. They tuck them under their arms. Mm. So, I mean... Surfer who read the book would think well, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Yeah. So you have to, you have to have a lot of beta readers. Uh, we have a dear friend who's a boat captain, so there's a lot of boating stuff in this book, and I have to run it by him to make sure you can do the things I'm saying you can do on a boat.
0: Yeah, I love your approach. I do. I love you. I'm a writer as well. I love your approach. I think it's oh, thank fabulous. You. Well, Deborah Goodrich-Royce, it's a great book. It's called Reef Wrote a Novel. I'm holding it with me, and I don't want to give away too much of the plot line because I'm in the middle of it myself, but I'm really enjoying it, and I, I just love the kind of things you devoted your life to, and I love your restoration of special spaces and your passion for the creative in the world, and I think you've made every community you're in a better place, so my hat's off to you. Thank
3: you, Lisa, and for anybody in Connecticut, we're having a big book launch tomorrow at the Avon. We have events at R.J. Julia coming up. We have lots of Connecticut events if, if you want to go to a book party.
0: Well, R.J. Julia is my favorite place. My it's favorite wonderful. place. Just the Right Book is my Christmas gift to all the young people in my life. Oh, that's so nice. Yes. Deborah Goodrich-Royce, thank you so much for joining us on the Lisa Wexler Show today. Be well. Thank you, Lisa. Bye. Thank you.